I think if we want to do this quickly and holistically right now, I think the legislation has to be there because then you're just forcing all these organizations to then comply. It is the week of December 27th, and welcome to a special NSI podcast debate episode. I'm Jamil Jaffer, founder and executive director of the National Security Institute at George Mason University's Anton Scalia Law School. And today, I'm joined by Lauren Zabrick, Executive Director at Harvard Belfer's Cyber Center and an NSI Visiting Fellow. Lauren served as an intelligence officer in the U.S. Air Force at the beginning of her career. She's also served as a civilian intelligence analyst at NGA, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, assigned to the Office of Counterterrorism. She's completed three war zone deployments, has served as an adjunct professor at NGA College, and has also worked in the cybersecurity industry at a, at a company called Recorded Future. She was instrumental there in building its public sector business practice. She was a senior intelligence analyst. She ran... Uh, a team of analysts worked alongside the product management and training teams to improve customer experience. And she's a gold star sister. Lauren also has run a number of imp- critically important women's movements uh, in the cyber domain, the Future Women's Mentor Initiative at Recorded Future, right? She started a women's initiative at NGA. She's a member of the NASA Girl Squad and is a founder of the online social media movement, hashtag share the mic in cyber, which aims to dismantle racism in cybersecurity and privacy. She's also perhaps most importantly, a visiting fellow uh, with us uh, at NSI. So today, we're going to have a debate on mandatory cyber reporting. The debate comes as cyber attacks and cyber hacks of the U.S. government, major U.S. industries, and, and individuals in this country reach recorded highs. I'll be arguing that, no, cyber reporting shouldn't be mandatory. And Laura will be taking the other side of the debate. She believes cyber reporting should be mandatory, but I'll let her really get into it. And by the way, uh, if you like what you hear, we may have more coming later on down the road. Today's episode, along with a few others that we've done, is a teaser episode for a new type of sort of debate that we might have on these podcasts. So keep an eye out for this sort of fast-paced, no no holds barred format, and we'll hope you'll continue to tune in. So with that, let me turn to you, Lauren, and talk to you about you know what's going on in this in this space. We know there's been a lot of talk about mandatory cyber reporting. It's been hot on Capitol Hill recently in the aftermath of the solar winds hack against the U.S. government and U.S. industry. A lot of cyber attacks over the last year, Colonial Pipeline, JBS and the like. Talk to us about what's going on on the Hill, why this thing matters, and and why you think mandatory cyber reporting is so critical. So let's first set the stage here. I tweeted, uh, I don't know, a week or so ago that I was disappointed to see that the mandatory reporting requirements part, uh, that, that, you know, legislative requirement fell out of the NDAA. And Jamil said... Actually, I disagree. And so that's why we're having this little podcast throwdown. So I said, all right, let's do it. Well, it was even worse than that, right? Not only did I say I disagreed, I said I was happy to be in, there was some poll the Washington Post did, right? And I was I was in the 7% minority, 90% of the world agreed with you, right? Or the cyber experts, right? Agree with you and said, Lauren's right. Obviously, we should have mandatory cyber reporting. And I'm like, no, I revel in my 7%. That's crazy town. So why was, but why were we, why was the post, you know, doing this poll? Why were you tweeting about this NDAA? Like what, what was going on? All right. So this provision was left out of the NDAA. It was, it was in, and then it was taken out. There were some um, alleged concerns by, I think, Senator Rick Rubin of Florida. Um, apparently those concerns were addressed, but they just didn't have time to get it back into the NDAA. And so Chairman Benny Thompson, Congresswoman Yvette Clark, you know, they said, hey, you know, it just didn't make it in. And, and you know, obviously, I think a lot of people, which is reflected by the 93% of the uh, the poll respondents for the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post, you know, reflected that. They, they were also disappointed. And, and so I really want to hear your, your reasonings for it. And I think there's a lot of nuance that we could get into, but essentially there's so many people who think that 
you know, organizations, whether they're businesses, big, small businesses, nonprofits, et cetera, should report if they've been attacked in, you know, in, uh, on their networks, et cetera, by, you know, some sort of cyber actor, whether it's, you know, they don't know who is attacking them, obviously, and they should report that. And in the provision, it was to CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. But, you know, because we, we need to have an idea of what's going on, who's being attacked, by whom, how, you know, what vectors they're using, what, you know, malware vulnerabilities, et cetera, so that I think we can craft the appropriate policy responses. Uh, but again, unfortunately, it was left out. I think we should keep pushing for it, though. So, Jamil. What do you think? Yeah, so look, I mean, I, Lauren, I, I don't disagree that it's important for the government and industry to share information about cyber threats, not just what happens after the fact, right? This reporting once you get hacked or attacked or whatever it might be. Um, but even beforehand, I think the government should be sharing tremendous amounts of intelligence with the private sector to empower private sector defense. And the private sector should be telling the government what they're seeing in order to help the government collect better and give them back better intelligence. So I've long believed that sharing of information, large amounts, frankly, terabytes of information, constantly, all the time, ahead of threats, after threats, whenever, is something critical for us to really succeed as a nation in, in cybersecurity. So you and I share that perspective. The only Absolutely. question I think, yeah. So, okay, so, so I'm glad we agree on that, right? So then the only question is, does that need to be mandated by law? What are the results of mandating it by law? And does it make sense to mandate reporting after the fact by law? And what's likely to happen, right? So- from where I sit, right, the way this is likely to play out is the second you put a requirement in law, right, and say there'll be some penalty or some cost or some, or just, it's just a legal requirement, right? The first thing any company is going to do when they realize, okay, hey, I have something that might fall within the requirement to report. There, what, do, what would you do if you're, if, I mean, you've been a recorded future, right? What would your clients do as soon as they think there might be another reporting requirement? What's the first thing they do, Lauren? Well, I... <laughs> I don't want to speak for the, you know, any clients that I had. Yeah. Um, no, I look, I agree. Like it's the onus on the organization. You have to make it easy, right? Yeah. And you have to make it such that it's not going to be a huge burden on right. the on the organization. Because otherwise, you know, they're dealing with a billion things, right? You know, with their networks and their people and their data and and all that. So I get that. Yeah. Um so, yeah. Well, but, but, okay, so here's what I would do, right? I would, if I were getting this reporting requirement coming to me as a company, right, or an organization, I'd call my lawyer. Now, maybe that's because I'm a recovering lawyer and I'll admit to that. I'll cop to be a recovering lawyer. I am a technologist at heart, right? My first computer was a Tandy TRS-80 color computer with 4K RAM. I paid with through college doing computer support. My first job on Capitol Hill even was a computer support job. But, but I'd call my lawyer because I've got this legal requirement. I don't know what's going to happen, right? And what's my lawyer going to tell me, right? If they're anything like all the lawyers I know, right? They're going to be like, okay, let's look at this. Let's figure out what we need to do, what we're required to report. And we're going to only require the, we're going to only report the bare minimum we're required to report. We're not going to report any more. Of course, we're not going to report less because we're required by law. We'll report exactly what the government says and nothing more, nothing less. Second, when are we required to report? When is that report due? Okay, we're going to wait till the last possible minute to send that report in because, right, we need to gather as much information. We need to know as much as possible. So it gets due in five hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 72 hours, whatever the number is. I'm going to report as little as possible, as late as possible. Well, that's fine. Okay, so that's how this plays out, right? Because we've got this legal reporting requirement. Lawyers get involved and lawyers say, slow down, limit reporting. Don't you think that's an issue though, you know, kind of from a systemic standpoint, right? I, I do. I, told, I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's terrible, which is why you don't make it a legal mandate. Instead, what you do, you want people to report 
it's really easy in my view. I, I support it, incentivize it, give people carrots, right? Line their incentives up with your incentives, right? You're the government, you want reporting coming from the private sector, give them tax incentives, give them monetary incentives, give them intelligence, give them data, give them whatever it is that will make them do the thing you want them to do and align them with you. Get the lawyers out of the room and get the CEO, the COO, the CISO, the SOC operations analyst, the SOC manager, get them on your team by saying, here are the benefits to you of telling me what happened to you. Here's yeah, what you're going to get. I think that's in a perfect world though. I mean, that would be great, right? Like everyone's like, yeah, let's do this. We've got all the incentives. We're, you know, we're happy. We're, you know, kumbaya, but I, I think, you know, what's been played out and, you know, I'll say this, I'm not coming down on these organizations at all because, yeah. you know, I, I came into cyber end of 2015, you know, beginning of 2016. And that was like in this time where some major breaches and hacks had happened and, mm-hmm. and some hadn't happened yet. And I saw how these organizations were like, oh, the government's not going to protect me. I have to make these investments. I have to yep. figure this out, you know, what, with what little, you know, resources we have. So I get that they've been trying to figure this out and, and, you know, for the most part, right. Trying to do the right thing. But I think what we've seen at this point is that it's, it's not happening on its own. I, I'm with you. It's, it's not happening on its own. Agreed. We're, we're all on the same page. The question is, how do you get it to happen? I think if we want to do this quickly, right. And, and, holistically right now, I think the legislation has to be there because then, then you're just forcing all these organizations to then comply. Now, maybe someday we can get to a point where, you know, it is incentivized and it's easy. Again, it's not a huge burden for, you know, these um, organizations to actually report. Um, But I think right now, like, I I think I I mentioned this um, a couple of days ago, but like, it's like we're bleeding right now, right? We have to stop the bleeding. We have to get our collective, you know, stuff together and figure it out. And then, you know, sort of triage, right? And, and yeah, but, what? So I don't disagree. I don't disagree, Lauren, but like, what, like, what are we going to, what, what's the benefit of getting, so let's, okay, we're bleeding right now, right? There's cyber hacks, cyber attacks all the time. Knowing about a breach after the fact does what for us to really help? I, I, I would get if you were saying, hey, we're mandating you to tell us about all the threats you're seeing on your network. Okay, then we're getting real intelligence. We're getting that sort of radar picture of what's happening on the on the internet, right? Right. But Things that we've then, talked about, and I I agree with that. I love that. Right. But but even then, Lauren, like even if we're mandating that, right? If you mandate it, we as we've discussed. I mean, unless unless you think I'm wrong, I mean, it could be wrong. I, I could be wrong that you won't get the lawyers involved. They won't say as little as possible, as late as possible. But I, I'm pretty sure that's how that at least from my perspective, that's how it's likely to play out. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether that's right or wrong. And if that's if that's generally right. Well, then why not try incentives? We haven't tried incentives. I mean, what is today, what is the incentive for a company to tell the government about anything that happens to them? There's always, there's not, in fact, there's not, is there no incentive. There's a disincentive. The government might regulate me. They might, they might, they might, they might charge me. They might support a lawsuit, right? They might get the FTC involved. They might get all these people involved, right? That's horrible for me. Why would I tell the government anything? Right. And by the way, if, if this legislation passes, then it mandates me to tell them stuff. Okay. But my lawyers can be super cautious because there's no liability protection. There's no anonymity. There's no regulatory protection. There's nothing. So why? I, of course, in my own, it's my own incentive to do everything as little as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I, I agree there. I think I wrote about that in you know the paper that um, we published earlier this summer and that we had well, tell us about, you about. Yeah, tell us about that paper. Yeah, tell us about that paper, Lauren. <laughs> so that paper was, um, at least in my mind, 
find a way to get to a more collaborative, defensive threat intelligence sharing structure. And it was great to talk to you about that because, you know, with the solution, uh, IronNet solution that, um, you know, where you work and the way that you're collecting data from your clients and like you said, putting it together in that radar picture so that we have an idea and you apply analytics on it and, um, you know, you can understand kind of what's happening across the threat landscape because we don't have that right now, right? It's all very siloed and it's all very ad hoc sharing, ad hoc relationships, right? It's not this institutional approach. And so this is just a way to, to sort of get towards that. It's both an organizational idea. It's a technological thing. It's policy, you know, so there's just a lot of um, ideas there to get towards that, uh, that system. But we did write in there about how, or maybe this was left on the cutting room floor. I can't remember at this point, but you know, the, the organizations that do want to share, find it very hard to do, to share with government and, you know, across the landscape too. So we need to make it easier, both from a technological standpoint and a, a legal and policy standpoint too. So yeah. I, I agree making, you know, the protections, the privacy, you know, liability, all of that reputation, all of that has to be done. But I did want to make a point too. at the end of the day, we, you know, the, the concept I think of national security has changed, right? It used to be, mm-hmm. I think more of this, like, okay, you know, traditional defense, the government takes care of it, right? We're completely in a different paradigm now. everybody is responsible for national security and where you have all these organizations who are the targets of a lot of these, of these actors, because they're so vulnerable, have to have a way of participating in, um, in the protection of this nation. And, you know, a lot of them, a lot of organizations aren't, they don't quite understand that yet. I think, I think people are starting to wake up to that. And so, you know, I just, I start to worry, this is sort of like a tragedy of the commons situation as well. Um, look at the pandemic, right. And, you know, how yeah. there's, there's such uneven, you know, vaccination rates and masking and things like that. And we're still in this, this quagmire, right. So I think the, the mandatory requirements, I know it's, it's onerous and, and people don't love it, but we need to get to a point where we can start to understand better what's going on, stop the bleeding, and then, you know, have a, a better approach from there. Yeah. So, okay. So let me, let me sort of play this out. Cause I, cause this is what I always, I was always so confused by. Okay. So let's say we, we put this mandatory reporting requirement tomorrow, right? Let's say it's required and let's say it plays out the way that I've described, which is they call their people call their lawyers. You know, they're worried about regulations. They're worried about, they're worried about, um, you know, liability. And so they report the minimum requirements in the time frame reported re- required. Okay. So what happens on day 365 after that, a year later, what, what's, the, what's the significant change? What's the benefit to the nation with all this reporting come in? Okay, I was breached in the following way on the following date and time. Well, I think from there, you know, we're going to have a better understanding of what's happening, you know, across sectors, across the whole yep. landscape. who's doing the attacking, where it's coming from, what vectors they're using, what vulnerabilities, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, I think you can start to put put together that picture, um, not only from, you know, tactical, say threat intelligence sharing Mm -hmm. standpoint, but from a larger strategy as well. Maybe that's, um, you know, diplomatic, maybe that's 
uh, more on the defensive protection side, maybe, yeah. that, you know, it does go into more law enforcement or, or yeah. even, you know, cybercom actions. So I think there's like this range of benefits um, that will come about in the next year. Well, obviously but, it's not passed. So, but, but Lauren, so I, I hear that, but, but we know, I mean, we know who's attacking us today. We know about the vast majority of cyber attacks that are happening to industry today. They, we, they come out, right. It's not like we don't hear about all these data every day. Not a day goes by. The American public doesn't hear about another data breach. Not but that's because it's by. coming from the news. And if the news hears about it, right? Right. So, I mean, I mean are you, are you are, so is your view that there are a huge number of cyber attacks or cyber hacks, major ones that are going unreported, the government doesn't know about, that industry doesn't know about, that never make it into, make it into the news? Is that, is, that what, is that what we're saying? I think so. Yeah. I mean, look at solar winds. We wouldn't have known about that if, but for the uh, smart, timely actions by, you know, someone, was it at FireEye? Maybe, right? yeah, maybe Kevin Mandy. Yeah, right. But yeah, but no, but we, but of course, but we do, right. I mean, that's my point. We know about solar winds. We know about not Petya. We know about, about, about the Microsoft exchange hacks. We know about colonial pipeline. We know about JBS. We know about all the ransomware attacks across the country, right? We know about tons of attacks, right? The government isn't doing anything about those today. Right? There's no cyber command actions that are, that are as effective as we'd hope, right? They're not really deterring the enemy as much as we'd hope. I mean, General Oxone has done a great job getting out there. He's been given a lot of authority now by Congress and the president, finally, although I hear a lot of it's being walked back down in the new administration, right? But finally, they get out there, they're leaning forward, starting to try and engage some deterrence, right? That, that idea of persistent engagement and defending forward, right? To me, those are real powerful concepts, but it's not like we don't have a ton of information about hacks and attacks, right? Hacks being sort of theft of data and and, and the like, and disclosure data and ha- attacks, in my view, with destructive activities where, where systems are taken offline or the like. We know about tons of cyber attacks and acts. What is knowing more about them going to do? We know it's the Russians. We know it's Russian criminal gangs. We know it's the Chinese. We know it's now increasing Chinese threat actors, right? The Iranians, the the the, the North Koreans. Like, we know. Like, what's what's the new big reveal that's going to happen? That like, oh, now that we've got cyber reporting, well, now everything's going to get better. Well, I mean, like I've, I've said Previously, you know, I, I think to be able to to craft appropriate policy and other defensive responses. But I will say this: so yeah. I was reading um, through, I can't remember his name, but the assistant director for cyber at the FBI's his um, testimony, right? Mm-hmm. He even supports this. Now he was not so supportive of the legislative uh, language as it was because there was no mention of the FBI in that reporting requirement. So we can get into that too. Well, uh, but, we should go. We should that's definitely part of that. We should we should definitely have that fight. That's a, that's another good one. I like that one for sure. But but they were generally supportive of that. You know, of the ability to you know get more information so that they could understand who else was being targeted, for instance, um, to be able to um, you know go after some of the actors and and you know. Yeah grab their, their wallets uh, or their, you know, their Bitcoin wallets and, and, you know, chase that down. But I think what happens if it's in, what, what's the, what, what's the change? That's a very pessimistic view of, you know, of what will happen if we have more data. Now, should there be follow on, um, you know, items that, you know, kind of come after this, you're right. Like what, what comes after, right? What can CISA do? What can FBI do? What can the state department do? What can Cybercom yeah. do? I mean, don't you argue for, for more intelligence, for more threat intelligence? Well, I do, but I want intelligence before the bad thing happens. Knowing of about course. a bad thing after, 
knowing about a bad thing after it happens is like great. So it's it's like this cyber and TSB issue that came up a lot. A lot of people have been debating whether we need a sort of a board to review cyber and tax so we can make better rules and regulations to govern the industry. First of all, the idea that the U.S. government, which is notoriously bad at its own cyber defense, right, is going to tell industry how to be better at cyber defense and mandate regulations. I mean, that's a joke. I mean, it's it's laughable that, that the U.S. government would be like, oh, you know, we can we can tell you what you need to do to be safer. Oh, and by the way, laws and regulations evolve so fast we'll be able to keep up with cybersecurity. Like that's a, that's laughable. Right. So, but, but people said we need a cyber NTSB to figure out what's going on. Right. My lessons thing is, learned, okay. right. Okay, like right. lessons learned I, from breaches. I, I have, I have no to problem. defend because Rob Kanaki is one of my fellows. So I, I need to defend him here. I, I love Rob. Rob's a great friend, but the idea that we need a cyber NTSB now it's like having a national transportation safety board, which is as you all, as our listeners all know, is the board that investigates, you know, airline crashes and the like, right? Or even train tra- train crash, but mainly we think of them in airline crashes, right? That would be like saying we need an NTSB before we have the radar, the air traffic control system. We don't have an air traffic control system for, right, how for, do we, for cyber. I, I, how do we get the air ca- traffic control system? Okay. I, Which, I know we, we've talked about this, but I'm just yeah. saying for, for the listeners here, for the listeners. what is your proposal yeah. to, to get organizations to buy into this radar control system? Because I would love that. Trust me. Awesome. All right. So a number of things. One, no legal mandates, no threats of liability, no threats of of regulation, right? Those are all things that will de-incentivize cooperation. It'll de-incentivize you giving information. It'll de-incentivize the ability to get the radar picture. Instead, say to companies, hey, look, if you give us this data, you'll get liability protection. You won't be sued for giving us the data and for the data you share or for taking action on it. You won't get regulated for it, right? We will actually not come after you if you help us create the radar picture. If okay. you share information. But they, but we've tried this, right? With AIS, with CRISP, with, you know, other, I can't remember the other, you know, programs. No, saying we've tried it in those programs, which by the way, industry thinks are terrible, have been largely failures. I mean, Christmas has, has had some good success, right? AS has been a, has been a really challenging program from day one, right? Sure. And I think there's a lot of ways. Look, I think Jenny Sue is doing a great job at CESA. I think Chris Krebs before her did a great job. I think that they're really starting to get DHS finally after, you know, two decades of train wreckage on, yeah. on all sorts of issues, including cyber. They're finally getting their act together. Um, but but it's going to take time for industry to trust them and their and, 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 and its programs. I think Jen's done a lot of work to raise that thing. I think the JCDC is, a, is an inspired idea, right? Mm-hmm. But, but the problem fundamentally, Lauren, is that we've never really tried this, right? We've talked about, oh, well, there's some modicum of liability protection in the, in the Cyber Free Sharing Act 2015, which I helped write in 2011. It was passed right. 2015 in a much different form, right? With a lot more limited liability protection because there was a huge fight about that. A lot more that. limited regulatory protection. So it's no surprise that, that industry doesn't want to cooperate with the, when they know that there's a lot of liability left on the table. Again, their lawyers are back in the room. The best thing we can do for cyber information sharing is get the lawyers out of the room, mm-hmm. kick those guys out, provide the liability, right? Okay, great. Let's get the lawyers out, get the SOC operators in because they want to share information, right? But today, if you still have liability protection, you still have regulatory protection, or you don't have those things, right? You're not going to get the lawyers out of them. They're always going to be omnipresent. Just like, as you know, being an intelligence we got counterterrorism, Lawyers are omnipresent in the war on terror. They're sitting over every shoulder, micromanaging every military decision. It's a nightmare for intel analysts and, and operators, right? Like yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So why would we do that? Why would we create that in cyberspace? That's what mandatory reporting does. That's what the current weak need version of, CISA, of, of the Cyber Information Sharing Act from, that was passed away 15 does. We need real liability protection, real anonymity, real regulatory protection, and 
even if you need to pay them, let's give them tax incentives. You you share information with the government, you can write off X, Y, and Z. Who cares? Like, that's good. That aligns corporate America's interests with the government's interests, right? The more the government comes in with the regulatory stick and starts beating people on the head, the less likely industry is going to cooperate and create that radar picture. It's just not going to happen. So I, I think, obviously, you know, our views on, you know, government and regulation and versus companies doing the right thing when incentivized, I think, you know, maybe we're at the two extremes here and maybe we're both sort of in uh, this like hyperbolized sort of thinking, right? I worry that even if there are incentives that you still need this like organization um, or organizing principle, right? Putting the weight of the government behind it um, to give it that, that credibility, that leadership, if you will. Yeah. I would love to see this, um, like you said, radar picture. Um, you know, I agreed with you. Like I said, we, we wrote in our paper, we need more of the, that, those protections yeah. in order for companies to share. I think you need to make it easy, like I said at the top of this, because and take that burden off. You have to take the minimization burden off of each organization, yes. right? Yes. Um, you have to, uh, yeah, make this system just, you know, I look at behavioral uh, science, right? Those, those sorts mm-hmm. of concepts. If you don't make it easy, people aren't going to do it. Totally. Right? And so what's the easiest thing right now? I don't know. But I think any solution has to have those principles in it. And yes, I would love to get there. Um, I, you know, I I definitely see your point on, you know, whether organizations will, you know, want to be incentivized or, or pushed along here. But, you know, even so Selena Larson and I just wrote this article on regulating water and wastewater cybersecurity, even people in the water sector agree with regulations there. So are you against all regulations in, you know, in these sectors, especially critical infrastructure and, and, you know, raising cybersecurity requirements? Well, I think the government's particularly bad at cybersecurity requirements, right? Again, going back to this, the thing we talked about a little bit earlier, right, about about the government and its own ability to do cybersecurity, the idea that the government's regulations are going to be good at cyber cyber defense is highly questionable given its own record. But beyond that, like, look, let's be honest, I mean, regulations just don't move quickly, right? And laws don't move quickly. If we create laws and regulations about wastewater or electric power or whatever, the fact of the matter is they're going to be out of date by the time they're on the paper, and they're going to get more and more out of date every day, every week, Every month that goes by, and that what that's going to do is people are going to are going to are going to keep their cybersecurity at that level, at the required mandated level. They're not going to close this gap, and as a result, they're going to be behind. And so, I actually think that putting in mandatory cybersecurity regulations and laws from the government, which is bad as it is, is actually going to actually make our cyber make us less safe, not more safe in the cyber domain. I think it's a terrible idea to put these regulations on our most dynamic industry and have the go- the federal government, which is the, one of the least dynamic. I mean, you you know, I mean, the IC is the most most dynamic parts of the government. Even that is slow and sclerotic, right? So, you know, sure. we should, by the way, also argue about where the data should go because that's, a, as you were saying earlier, that's a huge, and I, I, I think we might agree on this, but 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 what about what about this point about like, you know, it's just likely to be, you know, they're likely to be terrible and out of date before they even get on the paper. Like, am I wrong, am I wrong about that? Um, I don't necessarily think you're wrong, but what if, and this is something that we're talking about on, you know, yeah. data privacy stuff. What if you give, okay. uh, you know, CISA this sort of rulemaking authority, right, to then sort of update and, and make it so it's future proof, technology proof, right? So you have these sort of regulations, but then, you know, CISA, you know, can actually 
help to shape how those particular you know rules evolve. Yeah. Is that, no, look, is that I mean, like wildly out of the realm of like feasibility? No, no, no. I mean, look, a lot of federal agencies have rulemaking authority, right? I mean, and they're all subject to these, these, the ways that rules are made in the federal government. It's a long process, right? To make any sort of a rule and a regulation it takes weeks and months to do it. And, you know, as a result, and there's notice and comment periods and there's, you know, there's debates right. and like, and so I think, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna take a while, even in that scenario. Right. Um, but again, like CISA is getting better, but I'm not sure, you know, like, a, I'm not sure you want the federal government regulating aggressively in the technology domain. Look, I think our technology industry has been the most innovative and most productive in the world precisely because we've avoided regulating it. We've stayed out of it. We've kept the government out of Silicon Valley. The more we inject and, and the bad kind of government regulations and mandates and requirements and more government lawyers in the room, that's likely to be bad for technology innovation, including in cybersecurity, not good in my view. Um, but can't you, but, you know, I, I think, again, you know, our, our views on this are a little bit different. To me, it's like standards, yeah. right? Meeting certain standards, um, you know, ensuring public safety, right? You know, getting getting government out and, you know, allowing for innovation. I don't think they, you know, look, I think there are times when, you know, onerous regulation can, can potentially, um, you know, stymie that, but to me, and I know this, this is, you know, where I think the fault lines come in is like trust and safety and protection of the public versus complete like deregulation, complete, you know, just letting things go as they are. I, there has to be, I think something in the middle at the very least. Right. Agreed. I agreed. And I, I don't have a problem. I think, look, I think I'm not a, I'm not some crazy libertarian. You think you should get rid of the federal government, right? Wipe it off God. to the contrary. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, to the contrary, I actually think this is an area where the government actually has a very real role, right? Cybersecurity is a national security element, right? We should be doing stuff in this space. But the fact of the matter is what we've done thus far is not inspiring to anybody, right? The, nobody in the industry is inspired by the government's efforts on cybersecurity, right? I think they're getting more inspired. I think they see leaders like Paul Nakasone, Chris Inglis, Jen Easterly, Ann Newberger, Rob Joyce. They see these leaders. They say, okay, now finally the government's getting its act together. Chris Krebs before them, right? Tom Bossert, right? Th- there have been some great leading lights in cyber in this space getting involved, right? But the fact of the matter is the government hasn't demonstrated capability to do it. hasn't demonstrated a willingness to share real no BS TSSCI level threat intelligence in real time with the industry. They've never shown that willingness, right? Mm-hmm. We haven't really done any, anything effective yet to deter our cyber adversaries in, in the cyber domain. And the government regularly leaks information like a sieve. It's a disaster. And when it does regulate in the cyber domain, it's done it ham-handedly and terribly. Just look at Lab M- the LabMD case by the FTC using broad language, like you say, like, you know, uh, you know, false and deceptive and 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 uh and uh, unfair trade practices the ftc went crazy and, and ruined this the small business right um for 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 ridiculous things i mean this idea somehow that the government's just going to be good at it we can just trust it I, okay maybe but you know demonstrate something to me right show me why i should do this right and i think there's a lot of room here right i don't mind at some point turning to the regulatory stick try the carrots first right? See if carrots work, right? We haven't tried that. We have no evidence whether it will work or not work. Just saying, well, the government has to do it because that's what governments do. Okay. It's no shock the FBI likes mandatory cyber reporting. Any government is going to want more stuff from industry without having to give anything up. But this is a trade. Like you said, we're trying to find a middle ground. The trade is you want something from me. You got to give me something. Give me intelligence. Give me access to more information. 
Give me liability protection. Give me regulatory protection. Give me anonymity. These are all things the government could give, but the government says, no, no, no. We want everything from industry. We're not going to give you anything. Just for, we're going to force you to give it to us. And then we'll be shocked, shocked when your lawyers say, give them as little as possible, as late as possible. And they'll be so, mad again. And we'll be back at this once again. So basically everything I wrote in my paper, we should just do that. <laughs> yes. No, your paper was right. I, I agree with your paper. Like, you, you know, I, you talk, we talked about it before. I, I think your paper is awesome. Thank but, you. All right. So let's, we should, before we finish up, and I know we're, we're running short on time. Like, okay. So there was this debate, as you pointed out, right? About that the FBI director, what didn't like the language that didn't include FBI in who gets reported to. And one of the things you said was, we got to make it easy for industry. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it be, I mean, you come from a counterterrorism perspective, right? You remember the post 9-11 era where we said information sharing has got to happen. You know, people should be able to come to the government, tell whoever the government they want, what's going on. The government should figure out how to get the information inside the government and sort it out and figure out what's, what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. So why not the same thing for cyber law? And why not, why not say you can come to NSA or FBI or or, you know, whoever you trust, Secret Service, right? And if you have a relationship, you tell them, they'll let whoever in the government needs to know. And if it's CISA, then great. If it's, if it's somebody else, hallelujah. And they will figure it out and somebody will get back to you in a timely fashion, give you useful help. Why, why can't we do, why do we have to have the one door be the, the, the CISA magic door, which by the way, nobody, and again, Chris and Jen, are, Chris before her and Jen today, we're doing a great job trying to make that better. But let's be honest, nobody in the industry wants to walk through the CISA door today. They've never shown the ability to be successful. So why do we want to make that the requirement? Oh, DHS, great. I mean, I mean talk about an, an, an agency that has had problems. I mean, DHS of all the federal agencies. I mean, I honestly think we might be less safe today, Lauren, than we were before 9-11 when it comes to Homeland Security because DHS is such a bureaucratic train wreck. <laughs> that is spicy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I will say, you know, when we did interview different people, you know, across the the landscape, right, you know, different stakeholders, they, there was this concern that, look, some people didn't know what CISA was. Um, Some people felt like, okay, we reported, but it sort of just went away. And that was with FBI as well. Um, To your question of like, why can't people just report to the people that they know? Listen, I understand, you know, these relationships have been built over time, right? And that was something that the AD for cyber um, mentioned in his testimony is that they have these well-established relationships with organizations and, you know, to make them go to yet another person, you know, I I get that. I get that can be kind of difficult. Um, But I, you know, there, there isn't necessarily a way, right. For reporting intake, um, from say like a field office to sort of a centralized repository of information that the entire government, you know, has access to. And, and for good reason too, right. You have all these, um, you know, protections for the public and um, you know, the, the, you know, Intel oversight and, and all that, you know, obviously with CISA and FBI, it's different, but you know, you wouldn't necessarily want cybercom to be able to sort of reach into that. Right. Or, or the intelligence community to reach into that. So I actually would. I actually think that's exactly the right answer. I think that we have forgotten the lessons of 9-11. We've decided information sharing only works in counterterrorism. And even there, we can start to limit it now because, you know, it's been great. We've had 20 years, no, no terrorist attacks or no, no major terrorist attacks on U.S. soil. So now we can ease back on those. I actually think the same thing that we learned at pre-9-11 is the same thing we should be learning now in cyber, which is we need the government sharing everything. Yes, of course, cyber command should have access to that data. Yes. 
That's exactly what I think. We should have a cyber NCTC that's, that does this job and that you can come in any part of the government. It all goes into one bucket. Everyone gets to look at it. Everyone gets to share it. And everyone takes the action under their own authority. I actually think what you described is exactly what we want. Well, I guess, and- yeah. And that's, that's you know, I, I see what you're saying. And I don't disagree with that. I guess if, you know, the the vision or the the thought of all this this information coming in from private sector and the government just being like, okay, thanks, right? That I think is not what is working. I think like you were saying before, right? There has to be this uh, exchange of information, right? Yeah. Uh, and of course the privacy implications and the minimization, right? Because there are some, you know, the, you know, EO one, two, triple three, et cetera, you know, civil liberties, et cetera. Like that has to be addressed, I think, before this sort of vision is is realized. Well, I think, I think you and I both agree on that. So we're almost coming up, coming up near the sort of the, our, the, our time limit. Lauren, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you for fighting with me about, about cyber information sharing and cyber regulation and whether the government should regulate more or require mandatory sharing or create a cyber NTSB or, or a radar picture. I think what we, what we both 100% agree on at the end of this whole thing, right, is that we should definitely do all the things that are in your paper that you wrote out of the Harvard Belfer Center. So uh, we'll put a link to that um, in, the, in, the, in the online version of this podcast for people who want to go check out your awesome paper. Um, and in the meantime, uh, for those who are listening, uh, thanks for listening to another ep- special episode of Fault Lines. Where we're arguing about cyber regulation and uh, cyber uh, threat sharing or information sharing and cyber uh, breach reporting. And uh, great to have uh, Lauren with me today. Lauren, thanks. We'll hope we'll have you back. And by the way, folks, if you like this episode, rate, review, follow us on, on Twitter and on LinkedIn, the National Security Institute. Uh, Lauren, tell us about your organization, the Harvard's Belfer Center. Are you guys on LinkedIn and Twitter too? Um, the Belfer Center is on LinkedIn and Twitter. And then my cyber project were on Twitter. Awesome. Tell us about, tell us about your uh, app for on, on Twitter for your cyber project. It is just at Belfer Cyber. Fabulous. And Lauren, before we close... Tell us a little bit about hashtag share the mic in cyber. Sure. Thanks, Jamil. Um, so share the mic in cyber is an online movement dedicated to dismantling systemic racism in cybersecurity, because as we know, and I think we can all agree, racism is a national security threat. Um, it keeps us from understanding the, the threats that face us and, and prevents us from, um, you know, mobilizing our, you know, all the talent that we have to, to face those. And so what we do is we have allies who share their platforms, Twitter and LinkedIn with black cyber professionals uh, to highlight their stories, to show that they're experts in the field, to provide more opportunities and connections and things like that. Um, and a number of things have grown out of it. Uh, our street institutes uh, making space and cyber base. We have a scholarship that was started by um, the Women in Security and Privacy um, we've had a number of amazing donations, including from uh, Craig Newmark and his foundation. Um, and so, yeah, we're just kind of continuing to move forward. We're going to be um, homing it at New America. There's going to be a fellowship. So lots of exciting things in the future. That's a wrap on this special edition of Fault Lines. As always, Fault Lines is produced by the National Security Institute. Stay tuned for our new series of debates just like this one and be sure to subscribe to Fault Lines or follow us on Twitter at Mason Natsek for the latest updates on when the new podcast series will be hitting your inbox. We'd like to thank Law Jennings for editing and Maeve Cronin for production assistance. Join us next week for another provocative conversation and further analysis of national security's Fault Lines.